We are up to chapter five, Mishnah number four. It's a short Mishnah, but it packs a punch. Asara Nisyonos Nisnasa Avraham Avinu. With ten trials, with ten tests, was Abraham our forefather tested. And he withstood, he triumphed in all of them. To make known how great was the love of God, the love for God of Abraham, our forefather. Abraham was so beloved. He loved God. He was loved by God. And that is evidenced by the fact that he was tested 10 times and he was 10 for 10, a perfect score, 10 out of 10, 100%. He triumphed in all of them. Okay, so what's going on over here? Abram's tested with 10 tests, and he was successful in all of them. Now, what exactly were Abraham's 10 tests? The Mishnah is moot about that point. And you look at the commentaries, the commentaries don't agree exactly what is considered one of the 10 tests and what's maybe something else. So the Rambam gives us a list. And he insists that everything that is a test of Abraham must be featured in Scripture. So, for example, the Midrash gives a very dramatic story about Abraham as a youth. He was someone who was a searcher. He was someone who was a truth seeker. He was someone who was an independent-minded person. He was willing to be a trailblazer. He was willing to be an innovator. He was willing to take risks and put himself in a vulnerable situation and to stand up for what he believes even in the face of a death threat. And we're told that at the time he was living in Mesopotamia and it was a very idolatrous society and his father, in fact, was a very famous idolater and purveyor of idols and Abraham went his own path. Abraham chartered his own course And that was not very popular by the ruling class, by the elites. And Nimrod, who at the time was the king of that region, heard about this young renegade Abraham, and he gave him a simple choice. You either bow down to the idol, and you banish and dispel the ridiculous monotheistic notions, or I put you in a fire and kill you. I'm going to throw you into the furnace. Which do you choose? So some of the commentaries said this was Abraham's first test. And Abraham said, throw me to the fire. And Abraham was chucked into the fire. And God made a miracle. And Abraham survived. And not a hair on his head was singed. Now, parenthetically, the Midrash tells us that Abraham had a brother named Haran. And Haran was vacillating between Abraham and Nimrod. I don't know what's right. Is is monotheism right? Is polytheism right? I don't know. It's too complicated for me. You know what I'll do? I'll wait to see what happens. If Abraham triumphs, I'll follow his path. If Nimrod triumphs, I'll follow his path. So Abraham's thrown into the fire. And Abraham survives. And his brother is witnessing all of this. And he says, oh, I'm with Abraham. I'm with Abraham. I hereby volunteer. So Nimrod says, okay, let's try this one. He takes Haran, chucks him into the fire, and he's burnt to a crisp. And the commentators explain that Abraham, 
he went in with the intention of saying, I'm willing to die for what I believe in. And that facilitated a, situ- a situation, a scenario where God would make a miracle. Harun said, I'll go into the fire because I'll survive. Under that condition, God says, okay, you're on your own. Let's see how long you last in the fire. And he was burned to pieces. A pile of ashes, all that remains. So Abraham was given a test. Are you going to live and be an idolater? Or are you going to risk dying? That sounds like a pretty intense test. But it's only hinted to in the Torah. It's not mentioned explicitly in the Torah. And therefore, says the Rambam, that cannot be one of the Abraham's ten tests that are referenced in our Mishnah. Instead, he gives us a different list. Number one, Abraham was told, Lech lecha, leave, abandon your homeland, abandon your place of comfort, and go to parts unknown. That's the first test. And Abraham indeed travels to the land of Canaan. This is told in chapter 12 of Genesis. He gets to Canaan. God promised you'll be rich and you'll have power and those who bless you I will bless and those who curse you I will curse. You'll have children there. You'll flourish there. Things will be great for you there. He gets there and there's a famine and Abram has a choice. Do I leave or do I stay and I risk dying? But Abraham never says, wait a minute, God, you promised me I'm going to be good for me. I get here and as soon as I settle down, I have to leave again. That was Abraham's second test. He gets to Egypt. His wife is kidnapped. That was the third test. He gets back to Canaan and he is embroiled in a world war. And that's the fourth test. The fifth test is after many years of infertility, he is placed in this love triangle, if you will, where he is compelled to marry Hagar And that creates a lot of domestic strife in his family. The sixth test is where he's told to circumcise himself at a very advanced age. The seventh test is when Sarah is kidnapped a second time by Avimelech, the king of Gerar. The eighth test is where he is compelled to banish Ishmael and Hagar. That's the the eighth and ninth tests. Abraham didn't want to banish his son. And finally, the 10th test, he's told to sacrifice Isaac. That is the list that the Rambam gives us. Now, Rabbi Yonah, one of the other medieval commentators, has a very baffling list. So he, unlike the Rambam, he says the first test is the one featured in the Midrash. It's hinted to the Torah. It's featured in the Midrash where Abraham was thrown to the fire. That's the first test. And that's the easiest test because obviously it has to escalate because if you triumph over one test, you level up and now the successive tests have to be harder. So it's a pretty amazing thing that the first test is one where you have to forfeit your life. And there's a very important insight over here is that it's actually easier to die for God and to make one fatal decision, if you will. You know what? I'll die in martyrdom for God. That's easier than living for God. To live your whole life day in, day out, nine to five, and then five to nine for God, 
that's a lot harder than one valorous act of martyrdom. And therefore, Abram overcame the first test and now, okay, live a whole life committed to God. That's much harder. But what's the last test of Abraham's 10? So the Ram says, well, sacrificing Isaac. You sacrifice Isaac, your one son, the, the son that God promised, he is going to be your heir. He is going to be your successor. Ishmael's not going to be your successor. It's going to be Isaac. Now Isaac, take him and sacrifice him. Kill him. Of course, processing contradictory messages is something that uh, would kind of raise our ire or our suspicion. And Abraham doesn't question it for a second and he undertakes that journey. But what is the last test featured in Rabbi Yonah's list? In Rabbi Yonah's list, the ninth test is the binding of Isaac. Well, what's the tenth test? The tenth test is the burial of Sarah. God tells Abraham, I want you to walk the length and the width and the breadth of the land because I'm going to give you the entire land. The whole land of Israel, the whole land of Canaan is all yours. And his wife dies and Abraham needs a burial spot for her. How how tall was Sarah? I don't know. The average American woman is 5'5", five, 5'4", five, 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 Maybe she was really tall, like a Scandinavian woman. Maybe she was six feet tall. How wide? I don't know. It's not so much land. A tiny little parcel of land. That's all you need to bury your wife. And God said the whole land. Thousands of square miles. All yours. And Abraham can't find a single parcel of land. A single plot of land to bury Sarah. Of course, that is something that would have disturbed us. And the only way he was able to bury her is, he, is, is if he paid an exorbitant fee of 400 silver coins. And Abraham did not question God for a second. He did it all with full faith. And that's the hardest tests. And this is kind of baffling because the story of Abraham having to negotiate the burial spot, it's a cute story. It's an interesting story. It's a provocative story. It's an intriguing story in the beginning of Parshish Chayesara. But none of us would say that that's a more difficult test than the one where he's told to go kill his son, offer him as a sacrifice on Mount Moriah, walk three days to get there, and never once question it. And Insist on doing it until God has to stop him. Don't even cause any wound. And to negotiate with Ephron to buy a barrel spot, that's even more difficult. Kind of a baffling idea. So the commentaries explain a few different answers. That one of the ideas is that there's a difference between acquiring something and maintaining and preserving it. You you could get rich and you could stay rich. Those are different skill sets. You could become great and you can make sure that you never fall off your level. So one of the ideas here is that achieving greatness like Abraham did with the binding of Isaac episode, 
that is actually easier than maintaining it. And maintaining that level, that same degree of commitment on an ongoing fashion, that is even more difficult. Losing weight is easier than keeping it off. When you have to do something very intense, you got to lose the weight, you got to make the wealth, you got to sacrifice Isaac. It's like a concentrated, focused effort to achieve a very specific result. In order to maintain that, you must never lose your vigilance and you must never remember what you did to get there. Abraham has this high point, sacrificing Isaac. But once that's over, the vigilance must remain. The level of faith may never waver. And that is the 10th test of Abraham to maintain that level and that vigilance and that rigorousness even afterwards. On a similar vein, it's been suggested that when someone reaches the mountaintop, someone ascends Mount Everest, when someone has a great triumph, you sometimes feel like a, like a degree of entitlement. I've done it. I've conquered it. I've reached the top. At least now, give me a break. Make it a little bit easier for me here on out. I did it. I walked those three days. I offered Isaac as a sacrifice. And now I got to deal with this guy I doesn't want to bury. I can't find a place to bury my wife. I have to deal with this now? After all I've gone through, this is what I have to deal with? That's even harder. To not erupt like that is maybe even harder than achieving that great goal. Finally, there is an amazing piece here in the Ruach Chaim from Chaim Velazhner. It's one of his most famous pieces in all of his writings. He points out, if you look at this mission, the mission number four, it talks about someone who is called Abraham. Is that right? He's called Abraham. Is that correct? No, it's not correct. Abraham, Avraham, Avinu, our father. He's not just called Abraham. He's called Abraham, our father, our forefather. Avraham, Avinu. That's what, that's what we're talking about, right? Ten tests of Abraham, not, not just Abraham, Abraham, our forefather, that Abraham. Whereas if you look in the previous Mishnah, it talks about a person named Abraham, but he is not labeled as Abraham, our forefather, it's just Abraham, not Avraham Avinu. There were ten generations from Noah to Abraham, that's it, full stop, and that same person ostensibly we're told in the next Mishnah, he was tested with 10 tests, but he's not called Abraham, he's called Avram Avinu, Abraham our forefather. So if we're talking about the same person in successive Mishnahs, why in Mishnah number three is he called Abraham and nothing else? And in Mishnah number four, he's called Avram Avinu, Abraham our forefather. So he says something very fascinating. He says, quotes a verse in Proverbs, if someone becomes righteous, Verse in Proverbs 27 says, Ashrei Banav Acharav, praiseworthy are that person's children after him. When a person works really hard to accomplish a certain spiritual goal, that is going to be transmitted, that's going to be hereditary, 
their children are going to benefit from it. And therefore, when we're talking about Abraham, the generations, 10 generations from Noah to Abraham, that's a description of the genealogy of Abraham. And therefore, he is called just Abraham. That's who he was. However, when we're talking about the spiritual triumphs of Abraham, in that capacity, relative to Abraham's successes on a spiritual level, he is Avram Avinu, he is Abraham, our forefather, because those influences and those triumphs were passed on to us in a hereditary fashion. And therefore, when we are reading about Abraham and his triumphs, it's not just about a man's story, it's about our forefather's story, and it's also a description of the characteristics that are inborn in all of Abraham's descendants. Abraham had to work really hard to accomplish that. But for us, it's almost natural. It's almost innate. And the way it is phrased here, it's not that we have it for free. All of Abraham's greatness, we don't have it for free. But we have such a strong tendency or inclination towards them that all we need to do is put a tiny bit of effort and we can acquire Abraham's greatness. And then he gives us some examples. You see many Jews willing to give up their lives for God. Martyrdom has been commonplace throughout our history. And even when there were times, and there are always, apparently, or always, often, there are times in our history where there are Jews that are distant from Torah and distant from God. And that, sadly, has been a reality of our history. But when it comes to the question of martyrdom, will you repudiate your faith? And if not, I'm going to kill you. When that question is posed to the Jew, something is awakened, the Abrahamic influence is aroused and Jews throughout history have always given up life, have always forfeited their lives in martyrdom to stand up for what they believe in, even if when it comes to practice, they don't actually live by those ideals. Where does that come from? From Avram Avinu, from Abraham, our forefather. Whatever he did, his stories, his triumphs becomes innate in our children. Similarly, We see throughout our history, people have an urge to go to Israel, to go to Canaan. People have an inclination to say, I want to leave my comfort and I want to go to become a pioneer, move to Israel. People historically have faced great challenges and privation in the land of Israel and said, I'm doing it nonetheless. They're willing to go to the unknown, to be vulnerable, exposed to danger, because they want to go there. And where does this irrational drive to go to the land of Israel come from? It comes from Abraham. Abraham was told, leave your comfort zone, your household, where you grew up, where you're comfortable with, where you know the people, where you understand how things work, and go to the great wilderness, go to the land of Canaan. Expose yourself to that world. And that, Abraham overcame that challenge, and that becomes natural in his children. Similarly, he adds, when Abraham didn't question God when he was faced with lack and privation and hunger and famine, that too 
became inherent, innate in his children, and we have that quality as well. This is an incredible idea that the triumphs of Abraham became like the uh, the spiritual DNA of his descendants. This is almost like what we would call perhaps spiritual epigenetics. Whatever Abraham did became embedded within us. In fact, the Talmud even says that there are three characteristics of Jews, or biological Jews, Rachmanim, Baishanim, Gomle Chasadim. We are naturally merciful, bashful, and kind. Why do we have those particular attributes naturally? Because that came from our antecedents. And I would add, by the way, say what you want about the Arabs, but you cannot say that they are inhospitable. That's not true. They are hospitable, very hospitable. Where does that come from? We would say it comes from Abraham via Ishmael. We're told that Ishmael was commissioned by Abraham to go help the, help the guests and to go run around and fetch food for the guests. And thus, Ishmael is someone, the father of the Arabs, who adopted Abraham's kindness and absorbed it and integrated it. And therefore, his descendants, maybe it doesn't have the, the full suite, if you will, of, of the Abrahamic qualities, but this they definitely have. They are very hospitable. And that's the same idea, that Ishmael made sure that at least this part of the Abrahamic uh, way of life was integrated into his into his, into his his character. And that became the, the defining characteristic, defining positive attribute of his descendants. And therefore, when we read about this, and we read about Abraham's story, the Torah really does dedicate a lot of of airtime to Abraham's story. Now we know, at least according to the the Ruach Chaim, the way he phrases it, this is a description of the characteristics of our people. What Abraham did, we have, or at least we have an association, an inclination, a tendency towards, we could acquire it quite easily. Thank you all for listening. My email address is rabbiwolby at gmail.com. It's great to talk to you from the Tour Center in Houston, Texas. Have an amazing day. I look forward to your questions and your comments.